0: Good evening all, and welcome. In tonight's episode, we're going to be exploring a collection of stories with individuals who you'd rather not meet again. Don't forget to check out the Mortis Media YouTube channel for more stories four times a week. But for now, it's time to get comfortable and let the darkness take control. This time last year, I admitted to a psychiatrist that I was suicidal and was going to jump in front of a train. So he admitted me to hospital. This is where I met Bradley, who was still rolling cigarettes as I sat waiting for my room to be cleared. I asked him how long he'd been in the hospital. He said five months. And I gulped five months in the loony bin. But he seemed normal, calm, content. Maybe that would be me. Because right now I was a wreck, shaking on the verge of tears. My own mind had turned against me, screaming at me that I was weak and pathetic for not killing myself. Seeing him gave me a glimmer of hope a lit match on an ocean of darkness to guide me out of this hell. He gave me some advice. Stay out of my room, socialize and do the groups. He told me he was putting on a pub quiz in the main lounge, and that I was welcome to come. And I said that I would. Bradley was nice and we got on well. We watched NCIS together. And he always loved the art I drew during therapy. He showed me his card tricks, we watched films together, and smoked together. After a week of bonding, we were watching Hacksaw Ridge. He reached his hand over to mine, and I held it after a moment of hesitance. He kissed my forehead and told me he loved me. I believed him, but I was scared. I started crying on his shoulder. His blue fleece jacket soaking up my tears. I hadn't felt loved in ages. I hadn't had anyone tell me they loved me in even longer. And we started secretly going out. As he warned me it was against the rules of the hospital. I was so excited. Almost 19 years without a boyfriend. Yet here I was. I'd found true happiness in a place of brokenness. Someone who loved me and understood and accepted me, even though I hated myself so deeply. Then little lies started so subtly. He told me he had no visitors. Then they arrived. He told me he managed a restaurant full time. Yet another nurse told him, he was to collect his job seekers allowance one morning. He told us during group therapy that he had a three year old son, when another nurse reassured me he had no children. Then one day, he spent his time extremely moody, withdrawn, and kicking and punching walls over his dead father. That was the only thing that came out of his mouth that was ever confirmed to be the truth. Then after weeks of being together, he was sent to a different hospital in the middle of the night while I slept. He was ripped away from me. I went hysterical. I was in floods of tears and tearing my hair out until another patient gave me his number, writing it on the back of the King of Hearts drawing I'd done for him. I sent him a text saying I loved him at exactly midnight that night, I got a call from him. He told me how crap his new hospital was, and that they were only allowed out for cigarettes every hour on the hour, and that he'd been denied a last cigarette before bed. He continued to tell little lies, telling me that he got severe food poisoning from the hospital food, and that he'd lost half a stone in a day from vomiting. He also told me he hugged another girl almost as if he was trying to encode jealousy from me. But I trusted him. He got discharged before me. And that's where things took another turn for the worse. In between lies of owning a Land Rover, a Range Rover, a Bentley, a Rolls Royce, and a company van for his as of yet unclear job. Take your pick between security guard, songwriter, bodyguard, floor fitter, hip man, chef, assistant manager at a Domino's pizza, and the list goes on. And buying a Lamborghini for his 16 year old sister's first car. He began to tell disturbing lies that his ex and mother of his up to five children, depending on the day, was a severe alcoholic who used to beat him. He would break down to me on the phone saying he had flashbacks of when he dropped a glass and heard it smash and told me he was off to do bodyguard work for Ed Sheeran in Manchester when he was in Australia at the time and that he had to rent a hotel room for it. Only after the fact did he tell me that he shared the hotel room with another girl and even slept cuddling together, but that nothing happened. At this point, I was so used to him lying, that I felt nothing. If anything, I found it sweet that he was trying to provoke jealousy. He seemed deeply insecure about being perceived as boring. He never had a dull day. He was chasing down people for money, collaborating with Ed Sheeran, teaching Gordon Ramsay a new recipe, and partying with Little Mix, or getting high off his Olin I got discharged about a month after he did. We lived miles away, him by the coast, and me near the city. I always told him he was welcome. But there was always an excuse to why he couldn't come and see me. In the six months we dated. He never once saw me. Then one night, I call him up. I ask him how he is. He replies in a ragged breathless grunt. No. I ask him what's up. Concern ringing in my voice. I've cut myself. He answers bluntly. Immediately, my mind goes to survival mode. I ask him how deep and how much is bleeding. He said it was a deep cut he did with a Stanley knife on his arm. And the blood was all over the floor. I asked him if he'd called an ambulance he said they'd be four hours away. And I found that odd. I'd never heard of an ambulance crew once say how long they'd be. I tell him to tie a tourniquet above the wound. He says he can't be bothered. I tell him to raise his arm above his head. Same response. He hangs up saying his hand has gone blue and numb. I found that a bit odd if that were the case, he would have severed an artery, which kills within seconds. Still concerned for the safety of him. I call him back. No answer. Over the next hour, well into the early hours of the morning. I was crying and shaking in terror. My heart in my mouth trying to get a hold of him. Eventually, someone answered. Not Bradley but someone who identified themselves as a police officer. They said they had Bradley in another room and was speaking to him to calm him down and take him to the hospital. I said thank you to the officer more times than I could count in a shocked relief as I bawled over the phone. I went to sleep happy that my baby was safe. Then when I woke up, doubts began to creep in. No police officer would give away information to someone over the phone. Definitely not some random girlfriend. I asked my friend who was a high-up police officer they knew who told me the whole story was definitely complete lies. I always wondered why he'd faked a suicide attempt to listen to me cry proving my love in the sickest way possible. I was scared to confront him. After all, he was vulnerable like me. And he loved me. I was never going to find anyone else who loved me. So I might as well get used to constant deception and manipulation. I was utterly blinded by love. He called me up one night as per usual. This time doing his bouncer shift. He told me he'd seen a really fit girl. And when he ID'd her, it said she was born in 2004. He asked me how old that would make her. And I said that would make her 14. He was 21. And I was 19. He went off about how attractive she was. And I again reminded him she was underage, and that it would be illegal. He ignored me and continued to say, but you should see her. Then you'd understand. I started to get quite forceful. I was uncomfortable with the situation, which to him just seemed funny. The entire exchange with him left a bad taste in my mouth. He was still as another patient had put it a lost boy living in a fantasy world. He acted like a kid, still playing make believe and in a way was quite charming. But it revealed a serious issue. Perhaps he viewed himself as a child, and so thought his little crushes were cute. Later on, I came to find out from another patient called Harry, that Bradley had routinely assaulted other female patients before me, groping one of them who had a very horrific and traumatic past, to the point where she asked Henry to sit between her and Bradley. If they were ever to be in the same room, this left me feeling so stupid for having fallen for his I love you. It was all lies. That was simply to make me believe that him taking advantage of my vulnerability was anything but predatory. Then the final straw was when he called me up one morning, which was odd in itself. We usually spoke only at nights. He called me up to say he'd been drinking and getting stoned all night, which was again odd. The way he described the effects. I was so screwed up, I couldn't sleep. Made me doubt he'd ever tried weed or booze together. But I humored him after the call, joking with him in a text to save some for me. Again, trying to keep hope alive that one day we would see each other again and have him hug and kiss me like we did when we were impatient together. Then he called me immediately after. I answered to hear a girl screaming down the phone. Why are you telling my uncle to save you that weed? That's mine, you stupid girl. Why are you texting my uncle that you love him? It was just a joke, I explained. Taken aback by her explosive hostility. And I do love him. I explained. You're pathetic. He doesn't love you. She spat that with pure venom on loudspeaker. And I could hear Bradley laughing in the background like the whole thing was hilarious. Each laugh was like a stab in the heart. He does. I was struggling to speak now, choking back tears. My whole world was crumbling around me. My chest was growing tight. He doesn't why do you think that you stupid woman she screamed to the sound of his hysteric howls because he said so i choked out well he was probably drunk when he said that she screamed i heard him say in the background i'm always drunk and why do you think you're going out with him what makes you worthy of my uncle she demanded to know her words sharp and pointed as a razor blade. Because he asked me out. And I said, Yes, I explained, growing scared at my public humiliation that Bradley seemed to relish in. Leave my uncle alone. If you try to contact him, I'll mess you up. She screamed that down the phone before hanging up, leaving me to cry myself to pieces. I called a mutual friend, a rich friend who Bradley used to buy his clothes. She was furious with him. She left him a scathing voicemail and cut ties with him. Then the flood of calls came in. I let them all go to voicemail. It must have been at least 20. I ignored them, crying myself into a state as I debated to slip my wrists for real and a month's worth of pills for real. I was humiliated, ashamed, spiraling, in shock, disgusted, and dripping with self-hatred. I wish I could say it got better, but it's like an open wound. It scars over, but it never fully goes away. I still miss him. My compulsive liar, attention-seeking, manipulative and borderline abusive psycho of a boyfriend. Can't get much crazier than hooking up in a locked acute psychiatric ward. With how enraged he would get, how out of control he would get, whether it was punching and kicking things until he had to be physically restrained, or screaming and swearing over the phone about his made up problems. I'm terrified to think of what would have happened had we met up, outside the secure confines of the four hospital walls. I really do hope we do not meet again. This happened when I was a teenager, starting about six years ago. Ask.fm. If you're not aware, it's a website and app where you create a profile and people can ask you anonymous questions. Your answers are published on your page. It became all the rage when I was at school as a teenager. And a lot of people in my year had it. Despite us being 16 or 17. And nearly adults. There were a lot of clicks, bullying, scandals and drama. So you can imagine some of the stuff people were saying on Ask FM. I decided it would be a laugh to have an account. I got lots of stuff on there. Some of it was pretty mean, but not all of it. I also had a blog for a while. And it suddenly became weirdly popular. My views went from a handful each post to thousands. My blog was linked to my Twitter, which was linked to my ask. So I started getting people who read my blog, asking me for advice. This went on for a while. Even after i had left school at 18 and started my first job. Around this time, one particular asker caught my attention. He was called Jamie, about 17 years old, who read my blog and was going through some stuff. Depression, bullying, abuse from his girlfriend and a family that didn't seem to care. He didn't want people finding out he was talking about it, as it probably would have made it worse. He never told me things such as specific locations, even vaguely, other than it was in England, like me, and didn't want to contact me outside of ask, which I had suggested thinking it would be more discreet. I only knew his first name, and the basic details of what he was really up against. I really felt bad for this guy. He felt like he was nobody, and that things would never get better. We spoke often. And though I did my best to cheer him up. I made it clear. I was just a teenager with a blog and thought I would listen. I could not do for him what a professional could. And I urged him to go and get help for his depression and report his bullies. One day, I was on ask, and something popped through. Someone was saying that they were Jamie's cousin, and that he had confided in them about my blog and ask. They went on to say Jamie had attempted suicide. And he was now in hospital. I was devastated. I know that sounds weird. But after talking to this guy for a while, I felt so emotional about it. I felt like I knew him. I asked Jamie's cousin to let me know if there were any news. And over the next few days, I had one or two updates. Things were starting to look better. Jamie was awake and asking about moving schools, which his parents were on board with having taken his suicide attempt as a wake up call. He was looking forward to a fresh start. And I was happy for him, though I wished it hadn't have got to this point for his family to listen to him. But then a few days later, another update. Jamie had flatlined in the night. He was dead. I sat on the bench outside work, crying my eyes out. I was a mess all day and ended up having to quietly tell my supervisor what happened because everyone kept asking if I was okay. I wrote a blog post in tribute to Jamie about the horrendous consequences of bullying. I told his story on the blog that he told me had made him smile in times of sadness. I mourned the loss of my internet friend. I used ask less and less. For the next couple of years, I would think about Jamie sometimes. Over time, I realized something didn't feel right. I was less naive now, more aware of things in the whole saga that didn't seem to make sense. I started wondering how it was possible for him to suddenly flatline after such improvements to his physical health. This whole cousin thing Seemed weird. I hadn't used ask in ages. But stirred by this creeping sense of suspicion. I decided to log on and read through what remained of the Jamie conversations. I had deleted some of it out of respect for his family. As I scrolled through, I slipped into nostalgia and read a few other conversations I had had on there including with some serious weirdos. Some claimed to hate me, or to be hopelessly in love with me. Sometimes both or neither, but all quite unhinged. Some of the questions were about underwear, often socks with a really creepy undercurrent. A few more normal ones were from guys on how to be more popular a few from girls on hair, makeup, boys, things like that. There were also some fairly boring, if not a little random ones. And then I realized something. Jamie, his cousin, the weirdos, and even some of the seemingly normal or boring, but random ones. Their manner of typing, the words they used, their rambling intense dramatic writing style. It was the exact same. Identical. They were the same person. I couldn't believe it. I started reading back further in disbelief. This person, whoever they were, had been sending me ask messages for literally years. I know it sounds stupid. But I was terrified. Looking back, though, whoever this was, had sometimes sent me upwards of 15 questions a day, all seeming at the time to be unrelated from each other. In some, they claimed to be a lot younger, in some older, some female, some male. Some messages were encouraging, even obsessive. Some were mean spirited and downright harsh. Worryingly, They had asked some questions about things relating to my school, that only a student or teacher there would know to reference. My school was pretty small. So this would very likely have been someone I knew and interacted with on at least an occasional basis. Worse still, it occurred to me that whoever this was had previously known exactly how to play on my emotions and make a connection with Jamie in particular. I have some issues in the past regarding bullying, depression, self harm, and suicide. And people close to me knew how sensitive I was and am to stuff like that. I had so many emotions running through me shock, anger, disbelief, fear, paranoia, I had literally grieved Jamie's loss. And to find out he not only hadn't died, but never existed well, it was a lot. I logged onto my blog, which I had also not updated for at least a year, and went to delete my Jamie post. That's when I realised someone had commented on it. I read the comment, and from the writing style, I had no doubt that this again was the same person. I can't remember exactly what it said. But it was basically a rant about bullied people needing to toughen up and get a grip. Someone had then replied to it again with a rant, denouncing this commenter as horrible. And yep, it was the same person again, bitterly arguing with themselves on a blog post, about the character they had created and killed off. I was fully freaking out at this point. If it had just been someone trying to wind me up for a laugh, sure, I would have still been angry. But this person had committed to this for years. It made it so personal. It just felt so sinister. Having read through their questions again, I was struck by how unstable this person came across, and how unhealthy their interest in me seemed to be. I went back again to ask, looking for clues to figure out who they were. I noticed a notification bubble on the question icon. Nervous. I clicked on it. And I kid you not, I immediately recognized them. Bearing in mind, since I had stopped using ask, I only had maybe two random questions from ages ago. And a question of the day that the website automatically sends daily, which disappears after the day. This person had clearly seen that my status was active. I don't know whether you can set up notifications for that. To be honest, I hope so. Otherwise, they were just sitting there staring at my profile waiting for me to log in after a year. The question itself was a short, boring, but random one, which was a relief, but still weirded me out. Since then, I have thought of a few people who may be responsible, ranging from close friends, to exes, to the family of exes to former teachers, as there are a couple of weird stories there too to a strange guy I turned down for a date. There are a few who I think it could have been. I will probably never know for sure though, which is infuriating and unnerving. Since they saw me active once, a feature I didn't even realise was there and disabled immediately once I realised. For a while, I had a couple of questions a day that could have been them. I ignored them. It seems to have stopped now. But I will always have that little sick feeling whenever I log in to check. And I will always wonder who I can trust and who I cannot. Back in 2015, my now ex boyfriend and I went on a trip to Amsterdam for a breakaway from everything that was going on in our lives. We'd just been through some difficult stuff for people so young. And we needed a break away from everything and everyone for a while. Because of everything that had been going on, my brain wasn't working properly. And I screwed up when booking a hotel. I only booked it for seven nights instead of 10. And it turned out that the hotel was pretty far away from Amsterdam Central, which was kind of annoying too. Because of me messing up with the booking and lack of funds to book the hotel for another two nights, we made our way with the little money we had left out to Schiphol Airport with the idea of sleeping there for the next two days until our flight back home. Neither of us would get paid until Friday, so we'd basically starve and be very miserable for the next two days camping out at the little airport, like idiots, because we had exactly 30 cents to our name after getting the metro tickets. Our 19 year old selves at the time had zero savings, apart from the little that we used to spend on this holiday. We sat down beside the juice bar and decided that would be where we would stay and sleep for the next two days. Last year, I had received my black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I had been practicing martial arts for 20 years. I have opened my own school in the last 10 years and taught many martial arts. But Brazilian Jiu Jitsu was always the main one. To those of you who are unaware, it's a grappling martial art made in Brazil. Its birth roots come from Judo. It mainly focuses on the ground element of fighting using leverage and techniques to beat a bigger and stronger opponent. It's mainly got huge coverage throughout the UFC where every MMA fighter uses Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in all of their fights. There is the self-defense side and the sports side, but I mainly try to balance both on sports and self-defense. Now, BJJ has chokes, locks, and many ways to move on the ground. It was the proudest moment of my life when I received my black belt. And it took a lot of hard work and determination. There are obviously the critics who say it's useless against multiple opponents and weapons. But what martial art is truly great in those situations? I truly love teaching. And I have taken part in MMA competitions and grappling competitions to prove my worth as a teacher. Although being a teacher is a completely different skill. Just because you can fight doesn't mean you can teach it and vice versa. It takes real patience to teach. And I love it. And I love teaching white belts who'd never done any martial arts before. You also get the types who think that just because they go to a school owned by some UFC fighter, that that will automatically make them a great fighter. In the end, being a good fighter is something you're born with, and not taught in my opinion. Anyway, a couple of months ago, a new white belt came to my school, and I was super excited to teach him. We'll call him James. He was excited to learn BJJ and to get fit as well. James quickly became one of my main pupils and took part in all the outings and special events I had planned as a way of building team spirit. James was picking up on the basics of BJJ quite quickly. And he had then expressed to me that he wanted to do private tuition. Now I don't have a large staff, and i tend to find private lessons quite time consuming even though i charge a lot for it so i offered for him to do private tuition with one of my long time brown belts david david competed many times and was about two years away from his black belt he was definitely more than qualified to give james a private lesson now david being a longtime student of mine, and had been there from the start. He had always had a troubled life. And I had really mentored him. And not just as a martial artist, but as a father figure of sort. He also used to suffer from depression, and at one point had tried to kill himself. But I stopped him. I was so proud of him when he received his brown belt from the same guy who gave me my black belt. The guy who graded us both is one of the top guys who manages the BJJ affiliate program, which my school is a part of their program and logo is worldwide for BJJ. Anyhow, when the day came for Dave to give James his private lesson, I had texted a couple of times to see how it was going and got no reply. And I ordered David to text me when he'd finished And I'd received no call or text regarding anything. I went back to the school to check that everything was okay. But I found the front door open and the mat had a bit of a mess on it. Luckily, I had a spare key to lock it. And when I went down to David's house to ask him why the front door to the school was open, when he opened the door, I could tell he was completely stressed and was clearly hiding something. David was one of those types who bottled things up, as he was the prideful type. How did the private lesson go? I saw the front door was open. I said. The private lesson went south. Sorry for forgetting to lock the door. His voice was all croaky. I tried getting more answers out of him. But he just wanted to sleep. And I forgave him. As I could tell he was distressed. Nothing was stolen or damaged so I chose to forget about it. A week went by, and I hadn't seen David come into the school. And James came up to tell me that he didn't enjoy the private session with David, as he was mean and uptight. Then I finally got a call from David's mother, telling me that he had committed suicide. I couldn't believe it at all. I closed down the school for two weeks, And I wanted to do a 24 hour charity sparring session in the name of David and recognition of depression and suicide. The money collected from the 24 hour charity sparring session would go to a suicide charity. Unfortunately, it didn't get much interest. And my school was a little dead after David's passing. At the time, my CCTV cameras were down and I was meaning to fix them. But did not get around to it? After the suicide, I got them fixed in no time. David did the private session with James on my school days off, when no one else was around. Then James calls me up wanting a private lesson. And I agree. But I charged him double this time from the original amount. When he came he was excited as it was going to be an hour sparring session. And I'll coach him as to what he would be doing wrong if I saw a mistake. The sparring started off well. But I noticed James starting exerting strength and pressure not yet expected in a white belt or by his size. He then began doing advanced moves that I had not taught him. And then he had me pinned down and I couldn't get out of it. It was at that moment I realized James wasn't a white belt at all. And he laughed and told me he loved pretending to be a white belt. And that he should have seen David's frightful face when he realized that he wasn't and beat him very badly. He choked me out until I was unconscious. And when I awoke, he wasn't in the school anymore. but had escaped while he left me there. I got the CCTV footage and phoned the police, and have warned these other schools about this creep. As soon as we sat down, we both noticed a priest sitting across from us, but on the opposite side of the chairs facing away. He was staring at us in a mirror, and he wasn't trying to be discreet. We looked away after mumbling a few things, and we were all too tired to care we must have not thought anything about it. Because we both fell asleep on the most uncomfortable metal chairs in the world. When I awoke, I saw the priest who was sitting across from us originally lying down trying to sleep directly besides me. In this particular area of the airport, there was hardly anyone around. And once the juice bar closed, it was very quiet. There was room everywhere else for him to sleep but he chose to lie down beside me. I woke my boyfriend up. And he asked the priest why he was laying next to us. The priest extremely casually gets up, takes out his phone and takes a picture of my boyfriend flash still on the phone and all. My boyfriend obviously asks him what the hell he's doing. The priest then responds saying he didn't do anything. And for him to calm down. He then goes on to ask us if we want disco biscuits and said something about a white cross. My boyfriend tells him to piss off, which he does. A while passes and I can't get back to sleep. It's early in the morning, three to four AM at this point, And I see the priest wandering back over to see where we're sitting. He just wanders in circles around our chairs hands behind his back and looking at us in the reflection in the mirror. I go over to him and ask what he's trying to achieve by creeping us out. And he pulls a face at me and puts his hand into a kind of jazz hands motion, smirking and laughing and says, I know you. I wake up my boyfriend and tell him I want to move away from this man. He's in an awful mood. So he says no, and that I can move if I want to, but he doesn't want to walk around the airport to find another spot just because of some creepy priest. There are a few people around us now in sleeping bags and sitting slash sleeping on the chairs. So I just thought I'd stay there to try and get more sleep. I lay down behind the chairs instead of laying on them. Because even the floor was more comfortable than laying under the handles of the metal chairs. Again, I'm not sure how much time passed. But I wake up on the floor behind the chairs. And I see the priest is lying beside me behind the chairs on the floor. He was facing me with his face pressed into my side with his eyes wide open, watching me as I was lying there asleep. He motions a Shh, gesture with his finger and I can't express how creepy that was at the time. I got up and left. And we moved to a different part of the airport for the second night. We didn't see him at all anywhere for the rest of the second day. This is tame compared to what usually happens in these stories. But he was a creepy, old, and possibly mentally ill man. It's concerning that he's a priest. He's someone I definitely do not want to meet again. Last year, I had received my black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I had been practicing martial arts for 20 years. I have opened my own school in the last 10 years and taught many martial arts but Brazilian jiu jitsu was always the main one. To those of you who are unaware, it's a grappling martial art made in Brazil. Its birth roots come from judo. It mainly focuses on the ground element of fighting, using leverage and techniques to beat a bigger and stronger opponent. It's mainly got huge coverage throughout the UFC where every MMA fighter uses Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in all of their fights. There is the self defense side, and the sports side. But I mainly try to balance both on sports and self defense. Now, BJJ has chokes, locks, and many ways to move on the ground. It was the proudest moment of my life when I received my black belt. And it took a lot of hard work and determination. There are obviously the critics who say it's useless against multiple opponents and weapons. But what martial art is truly great in those situations. I truly love teaching. And I have taken part in MMA competitions and grappling competitions to prove my worth as a teacher. Although being a teacher is a completely different skill. Just because you can fight doesn't mean you can teach it, and vice versa. It takes real patience to teach, and I love it. And I love teaching white belts who'd never done any martial arts before. You also get the types who think that just because they go to a school owned by some UFC fighter, that that will automatically make them a great fighter. In the end, being a good fighter is something you're born with. And not taught in my opinion. Anyway, a couple of months ago, a new white belt came to my school. And I was super excited to teach him. We'll call him James. He was excited to learn BJJ and to get fit as well. James quickly became one of my main pupils and took part in all the outings and special events I had planned as a way of building team spirit. James was picking up on the basics of BJJ quite quickly. And he had then expressed to me that he wanted to do private tuition. Now I don't have a large staff and I tend to find private lessons quite time consuming, even though I charge a lot for it. So I offered for him to do private tuition with one of my longtime brown belts, David. David competed many times and was about two years away from his black belt. He was definitely more than qualified to give James a private lesson. Now David, being a longtime student of mine, and had been there from the start. He had always had a troubled life. And I had really mentored him. And not just as a martial artist, but as a father figure of sort. He also used to suffer from depression. And at one point had tried to kill himself. But I stopped him. I was so proud of him when he received his brown belt from the same guy who gave me my black belt. The guy who graded us both is one of the top guys who manages the BJJ affiliate program, which my school is a part of. Their program and logo is worldwide for BJJ. Anyhow, when the day came for Dave to give James his private lesson, I texted a couple of times to see how it was going and got no reply. And I ordered David to text me when he'd finished and I'd received no call or text regarding anything. I went back to the school to check that everything was okay. But I found the front door open and the mat had a bit of a mess on it. Luckily, I had a spare key to lock it. And when I went down to David's house to ask him why the front door to the school was open. When he opened the door, I could tell he was completely stressed and was clearly hiding something. David was one of those types who bottled things up as he was the prideful type. How did the private lesson go? I saw the front door was open. I said, the private lesson went south. Sorry for forgetting to lock the door. His voice was all croaky. I tried getting more answers out of him. But he just wanted to sleep. And I forgave him as I could tell he was distressed. Nothing was stolen or damaged. So I chose to forget about it. A week went by and I hadn't seen David come into the school. And James came up to tell me that he didn't enjoy the private session with David as he was mean and uptight. Then I finally got a call from David's mother, telling me that he had committed suicide. I couldn't believe it at all. I closed down the school for two weeks. And I wanted to do a 24 hour charity sparring session in the name of David and recognition of depression and suicide. The money collected from the 24 hour charity sparring session would go to a suicide charity. Unfortunately, It didn't get much interest. And my school was a little dead. After David's passing. At the time, my CCTV cameras were down. And I was meaning to fix them. But did not get around to it? After the suicide, I got them fixed in no time. David did the private session with James on my school days off when no one else was around then James calls me up wanting a private lesson. And I agree. But I charged him double this time from the original amount. When he came he was excited as it was going to be an hour sparring session. And I'll coach him as to what he would be doing wrong if I saw a mistake. The sparring started off well. But I noticed James starting exerting strength and pressure not yet expected in a white belt or by his size. He then began doing advanced moves that I had not taught him. And then he had me pinned down and I couldn't get out of it. It was at that moment I realized James wasn't a white belt at all. And he laughed and told me he loved pretending to be a white belt. And that he should have seen David's frightful face when he realized that he wasn't and beat him very badly. He choked me out until I was unconscious. And when I awoke, he wasn't in the school anymore. but had escaped while he left me there. I got the CCTV footage and phoned the police and have warned these other schools about this creep. I lived in a mid sized town in nowhere, Texas. It's no Houston, but almost 150,000 people lived here. So it wasn't a super small town either. Now, we were a military town. As in there is a large military base pretty much attached to the city. And a lot of moving around goes on in my town. On average, people who move here either stay here for life, or move away in two to four years me and my family moved here when I was in the eighth grade. Since the town is so small, there are only about a dozen elementary schools, four middle schools, and only two high schools. So chances are you usually pretty much know everyone your age by the time you get to high school. When I moved, I enrolled in the closest middle school, but it was December. So I moved in the middle of the school year. And so everyone had already made their groups of friends. I was also the only kid in my grade that was of Middle Eastern descent, not to mention I was coming down from a northern state of Texas and due to past bullying. And not to mention I was coming down from a northern state to Texas and due to past bullying, I had and still have huge social anxiety and awkwardness. I didn't make any friends for a long time. I still remember listening to Eminem on my iPod and eating lunch alone for the first eighth grade and eating lunch alone for much of the grade until I made not only the first friend in town, but my first female friend ever. Her name was Maria. And she had lived in this town her whole life. She was of Mexican descent. And we had a similar upbringing. So we got along great. Thanks to her, I found a friend group of my own in her friends. And she would be kind enough to tell me the details on people around school. Like she was telling me who were the good kids, the bad kids, the smart kids and the like. By the time junior year of high school rolls around, I'm fairly popular. And me and Maria are still friends. She had her own circle, and I had my own. But we still hung out every now and then plus we had a bunch of classes together. One of these classes was competitive choir. So we had class plus after school training for the choir club. At first, we used to sit wherever we wanted. But we were later arranged by vocal range or whatever it's called. She was an alto, and I was a bass. If you're into music, you probably know what I'm talking about here. Now, I sat next to a friend of mine, Dave and the new kid Zach. I remembered my time alone, and how brutal this town could be. So me and Dave befriended Zach. And soon they were in my group of friends in choir. And Maria now had some other girls and her and her friends. Zach was a bit weird. A good looking kid, but he had a lisp and was shy and barely spoke. When he did speak it was nothing unusual that I remember. He was a pretty normal guy except for one conversation where he got really graphic, and told us about his fetishes. And the stuff was way too kinky, at least for me at the time. So we just laughed it off. He was also super religious and heavily involved with his church group, and would often text me Bible verses before going to bed. One day, when I had extra time in choir, my friend Dave told me that he had a crush on Maria. And that if I didn't mind, I should introduce the two. And they hit it off and were hanging out and going out together. But not together yet. Ah, high school. Anyway, we had a state competition. So we would get to skip the whole school day and go compete. And then our instructor would let us out at the mall. And would take us back to school only when it was time to go home. Maria was getting frustrated that Dave hadn't made his move which I promised he would since we talked about it. So somehow this turns into a group thing. And at the mall, the two of my friends would meet up with Maria and her two friends at the mall for lunch and to hang out after. So me and the boys get talking about which of the girls we're interested in. Dave was with Maria, obviously. Plus, she's a homie. So she was never an option for me so it was between the other two girls. Zach was awkward and shy. So the choice was up to me. Luckily, I have Maria in my corner. So I asked her about her friends. One was a blonde girl named Alyssa. And the other was a redhead named Samantha. So Maria knows me pretty well. And she tells me that Samantha is into anime and heavy metal. She was also the biggest gamer. But she liked to keep that all on the down All stuff I was into. And she told me Alyssa was weird. And she was super Christian. So I thought obviously these matches were made in heaven. Me and Maria laughed at how perfect Zach and Alyssa were together. And we exchanged stories in order to determine who was weirder. It was her. Anyway, the night goes well. And eventually we all end up dating the people we were with that night. Samantha and I dated for the rest of junior year throughout summer and she broke up with me a few weeks into senior year. Honestly, I didn't blame her. Because of my background, I'm not allowed to date. So I had to hide our relationship. And like I said, the city was a moderately small place. So the chances of running into someone I knew, or worse, my parents were pretty damn high. So we barely ever went out. Plus, she was really attractive and she was a gamer. So her window of opportunity was pretty big. Definitely better dudes than me. Dave and Maria got married, and now even have a kid together. We're still friends to this day. Anyway, Zach was in a lot of my senior year classes. In fact, I would say he was in six out of eight. So at first, he was his normal self. And we were friends from last year. So I thought I knew him pretty well. But one day he stopped hanging out with me and he appeared angrier and angrier every passing day. There would be multiple consecutive days where he would just come into class dressed in all black and wouldn't say a word, not even to the teachers. One day when he wasn't there, our English teacher told us that the staff were worried about him and they reached out to his parents and they didn't tell us what was going on, but that we shouldn't be mean to him and be very cautious around him senior year was about two months from being over. When the craziest story starts spreading through the school. Alicia was hospitalized after they found cuts and bruises on her. And she told the authorities that it was Zach. And when we had seen him talking to the police at school the next morning, indeed, his fists were bandaged up. And some people said they saw him crying and confessing. Zach didn't graduate with us. He was moved to some other facility after a few days. And I never saw him again. But my hatred for him had just formed. Fast forward, I went to college in the same town. And nearly all of the kids that decided to continue on to college stayed in the town and went to the same local state university. I dormed for my first semester. But after my awful experience with my drug addicted first roommate, I moved back with my parents. But due to differences in morals, we drifted apart and they moved away to another state. My group of friends in college was different from when I was in high school. In fact, only a few of them were from this town and one of them was Alyssa. Now, she had a real change during the past few years. Understandably, she was in a rebellious phase. So she abandoned Christianity, cut ties with her family and moved to Montana. She got heavy into drugs. Thanks to my one and only roommate. I was familiar with a lot of drugs. And I myself had become a constant toker. She told us about her family, drugs, and religious issues. She would interrupt conversations to bring up this kind of stuff quite often. It was really weird. And we were all kind of annoyed by her. But because we all knew what she'd gone through, we were nice to her. Besides, Zach was back in town. And we'd all seen him around somewhere. Again, small town. So a visit to Walmart without running into someone you know, is unlikely. All the stuff Alyssa randomly brought up were the stuff I can relate to. So one day, I tell her about my own experience with a toxic family. And at this point, I was ex Muslim. And I also was bouncing around friends couches, so we had a bit of ground to relate on. And we end up having a nice conversation. Next day I wake up. And she left me a few missed calls at obscure hours and vague high texts. I didn't respond. I just leave for class. During class I look out the door window. And I can see her walking outside. But I didn't really care. Nor see anything weird about that at the time. I've seen myself. So I was pretty confident no one would ever follow me because of my looks. And I wasn't rich or anything. So nothing ever crossed my mind. When I left the room, I said, Hey, and expected us to go our separate ways. But she started walking with me. And she was upset about how I didn't even respond to her. I was taken aback. Because well, people don't usually do this kind of thing. But I apologized and she forgave me. All of a sudden, she starts talking to me about how a number of different things, all within the span of a minute. And then she started acting like we had been friends for so long. Now, she did go to high school with me. But almost no interaction ever happened. The stuff she was saying, it was made up stories about how we used to hang out in high school, and how she would replace her friends with me in a story, or would replace Maria in a story. Maria had told her about me and her. It was all weird stuff. She followed me all the way to my car and even convinced me to get some coffee with her. Again, knowing what Zach had done to her. I excused myself and went to my friend's house to crash. I ended up showing up pretty late to my buddy's apartment. And he's throwing a party. The usual college stuff. beer pong, music, talking, dancing, shots and whatnot. So when I show up, I appear on someone's Snapchat story and she sees it and starts blowing up my phone. I explained to her that I wasn't lying and that I'm really tired, but he threw a party and had no obligation to inform me. I am just crashing after all. To make her feel better, I ended up inviting her and spending the entirety of the night with her. We got pretty drunk. And we ended up leaving for her place to spend the rest of the night. I was pretty drunk. But I remember we showed up. I asked her to charge my phone and just passed out on her bed in her one bedroom apartment. When I woke up, I'm fully clothed. And I can tell pretty obviously that my little friend down below has not seen some action that night. But Alicia was pretty much naked except for her lower garments. She insists that we had and that we had to be in a relationship. Now. I tell her that I don't have feelings for her like that. And she begins to cry. And I consolidate her. But when her tears mix with the option of getting in to move in with her. I selfishly agree. Because I was tired of jumping couches. Plus, I know she's a good person who's just gone through some bad stuff. Right? I tell her I needed to get to class and that I'll pick up my stuff from my friend's house, and would meet her back in her apartment later that day. All of a sudden, I get a text for Maria. We probably hadn't spoken in a year or so. And she had seen on Facebook that I was now in a relationship with Alicia, which suspiciously was posted at 4am. Now, I don't know how Facebook works. But I'm pretty sure that both parties have to agree to post a new relationship. What's weirder, is that it was done from my account. So the post was mine. Meaning she probably used the fingerprint lock on the phone when I was sleeping, sent herself the request, and then accepted it from her device, which was possible since I gave her my phone to charge since the charger was on her side of the bed. Or maybe she had seen my password at some point. I doubt I wouldn't have woken up. Maria tells me that Alicia is crazy and that she wants to meet up to talk about it. So I show up to Maria and Dave's place, and Zach was there. Apparently, he had gotten back in touch with Dave after graduation, and they were all living together for now. Zach tells me that she has bipolar disorder, and he starts listing off a number of crazy things she had done to him. The craziest of which were, she killed his dog with her car when he tried to break up and then accused his mum of pushing the dog into the car. She would occasionally wake Zack up in the middle of the night with a knife to his throat, and would threaten to slit it if he didn't admit to whatever she was accusing him of. She beat up his 15 year old sister. She told lies about him to his parents. She told teachers at school that he was bullying her into staying with him, but didn't want the teachers doing anything about it. Later, she got even crazier and told Zach, he couldn't talk to other girls. And that if he did, she would kill him. She told him she knew where he lived, and where his mum worked, and where his other dogs were. So he should listen to her. She would only do this privately, obviously. And wasn't always like that. And he told me she was pretty normal for the most part. But during her bouts of craziness, they'd last longer and longer every time they happened. The craziest story he told me was that when he was seriously trying to break it off with her, she threatened to kill herself if he didn't stop talking to suspicious people. And to her, that included everyone, including me. When I asked him about the night he beat her up, he tells me that he was attempting to break up with her. And he had gotten further than he had ever gone before. And he thought he'd finally done it. After an hour or so of arguing, but then she showed back up at his place and outside on his lawn and put a knife to her own throat and said she would do it if Zach didn't punch his dad's truck. An odd request and Zach didn't do it. But when he saw that she was pressing down on the knife, he punched the car with a little bit of force, basically tapped it. But this drove her insane. And she started cutting herself in a few places, screaming for him to punch and then put the knife back in her throat, and poked a little hole that drew some blood, which was enough for Zach to panic and punch the truck, fracturing his hand. He said that as soon as that happened, without even saying a word, she left. Zach's parents took care of the hand and weren't at their house when the police arrived, but at a relative's and Zach was still newish. So nobody told him about Alicia accusing him of assault. In fact, he nor his parents knew, since they spent the night at their relative's house. He didn't know until he was talking to the cops the next morning at school. Also, Zach's parents were informed as soon as they got to work, because the cops showed up looking for them. Eventually, Alicia's parents and Zach and his parents had a meeting at school. Zach told me that Alicia's parents had promised to keep her away from him and told them that they would move right after high school and take her with them to Montana. If Zach and his parents didn't press any charges. The police believed Zack, because the doctors knew immediately that the bruises and cuts were self inflicted. Plus, she already had a known and registered mental condition. So the authorities chose to believe Zach and his parents, fearing he would get bullied at school because of the incident. And decided to put him in an accelerated program so that he could graduate before us and choose not to walk the stage. While Alicia had actually gone to a mental health facility to avoid any more police involvement. But her parents pulled her out immediately after. Anyway, he gives me her parents number and tells me I should probably give them a call right away. But I decided that I would let her down gently but firmly tonight. And if she got too crazy, I would call her parents because this story could be made up. And I'm still a bit suspicious of Zach at this point. But when I opened my phone, multiple of my friends had texted me, telling me that some girl was showing up and demanding to see me saying that she was my girlfriend and threatening them. I decided that I would call them now while I was with Zach who I believed now. I reached her mum, who I had a conversation with. But she basically tells me the story of how they found out she had bipolar, which was pretty crazy in itself. She confirms Zach's story and she tells us that Alyssa's older than 18. So they have no power over her. Plus they can't do anything thousands of miles away. When I ask if she could talk to Alyssa for me, she flat out refuses and says, trust me, it's better if I don't get involved, especially for you. So clearly she wasn't any help. And I'm pretty sure she hasn't done anything illegal yet. Besides yell threats. So I don't think the cops would have interfered either. Eventually, Zack advises me since there's nothing she really has on me. I'm not close with my family, nor do they live nearby. And that she doesn't know where I am now. Nor will she know because I am actually homeless in a sense that blocking her and ignoring her would be a best option if I were to have any interactions with her, they had to be in public, which was fine. Since my school was the only place she knew I'd be. Mario mentions that Alicia didn't have good enough GPA in high school to attend the school I'm attending. And with some investigation from all the friends she and I were around, none of us had her in any class. After that, I told campus security about her and shared my experiences with them. And they told me that she indeed was not a student, and that they would look out for her, me and Zach, the guy I thought was the antagonist ended up becoming roommates for two years. And we even moved to a different state together. I heard she was arrested at some dude's house because she pulled a knife on the guy. And her parents had to bail her out and took her back to Montana. Alicia, let's never meet again. And I hope you get the help you so desperately need. When I was 15, I enrolled into a program that allowed high schoolers to take classes at the local community college. The credits earned would apply as both high school and college credits. My first semester as part of this program, I took a basic English slash creative writing type class. And I was by far the youngest student. My classmates found out pretty quickly that I was a minor. And we were curious why and how I was attending college classes, whilst in high school. I explained the situation to them. And they were all very nice and accommodating towards me. And I ended up exchanging I M screen names with quite a few of them. One of my classmates to whom I gave my I was a 19 year old guy called Nick. He was a bit of an odd duck, short and chubby with a sparse beard. And he frequently wore a black cape lined with red on the inside to class. He seemed to be into darker stuff, was a huge fan of vampires and Satanism, and listened to some intense music. I didn't really mind at the time. I was mostly just relieved I had made some friends despite my young age. He began to instant message me on a regular basis pretty quickly. The classroom we were in had computers for each of us. So Nick would often message me during class on those computers. At first, things seemed quite normal. We talked about our interests and hobbies, family, homework, and gossiped about all the other classmates. Pretty soon though, Nick started bringing up some awkward topics. As a naive 15 year old girl, that made me uncomfortable. Nick talked about how pretty he thought I was, and would often tell me I looked a few years older than I was. To be fair, I was quite tall for a 15 year old, and said I acted mature for my age. He asked if I had a boyfriend. And when I told him that I did, he seemed upset and disappointed. He said if I broke up with my boyfriend and dated him, he would treat me like his vampire princess. He told me he wanted to kiss me and touch me everywhere. And that he hoped I would let him bite my neck. I politely yet firmly turned him down. Every time he brought it up. But he didn't seem to get the hint. Since I was too young for a driver's license, my mum had to pick me up at the college campus and drive me home. Due to her schedule, I usually had to wait for her to pick me up outside of the building my class was held in. Most of the time, I would have to wait about half an hour. Nick started following me out of class and would often wait with me until my mum pulled up he would pressure me for more personal info, and trash talk my current boyfriend. He commented that my boyfriend was probably cheating on me. So I should dump him preemptively. When my mum finally pulled up, I would breathe a sigh of relief and jump into the car. Online, Nick began to become more aggressive. Anytime he messaged me, He would start talking about my body in really inappropriate ways for a 15 year old. I would repeatedly tell him I didn't like what he was saying. But no matter how hard I tried to steer the conversation away, he would always bring it back to the dirty talk. He told me he didn't mind that I was mostly flat chested, stating he didn't need more than a handful. He told me I should wear tighter clothing to class so that he could better imagine what I looked like naked. He mentioned that he frequently fantasized about doing stuff to me while in class, and specifically mentioned bending me over the computer desks. When I was home, I would refuse to respond to his messages if he took it too far. But when we were in class, I had no excuses as to why I wasn't messaging him back. He would sit next to me in class every day and would send me messages, then stare at me until I replied. If I didn't, he would get upset and his messages would become more hostile. He would say things like, why aren't you responding to me? You know, I can see you ignoring me. I thought you were too young and pure to turn into one of those horrible girls. But I guess I'm wrong. The messages would pop up one after another. Until I replied. I would often cave and say, sorry, I was just paying attention to the teacher and didn't see your messages. Of course, he'd immediately change his tune. Then start right back up with his twisted idea of a romantic conversation. I felt like there was no escaping his barrage of commentary. And I vowed to just stick it out and make it to the end of the semester. I could easily avoid him on campus in the spring. Everything came to a head towards the end of the fall semester. Nick sat next to me in every class, messaged me constantly, and called me weird pet names in front of other people. And would always try to be in physical contact with me. He would put his arm around my shoulders and always wanted to hug me. It made me excruciatingly uncomfortable. But I was too shy and nervous to ask him to stop. I would shrug his arms off my shoulders and try to stick to high fives. When he shrugged me, I would keep my hips as far away from him as possible. I even told one of the mentors at my youth group that there was someone at my college making me feel uncomfortable. At the time, I wasn't sure if I was overreacting. So I asked my youth leader, if I could forward him parts of our online conversation that I thought were the most inappropriate. My youth leader's reaction quickly made me realize this was serious. And he explained to me that what Nick was doing was both extremely inappropriate, and also potentially illegal he asked me if I would keep him updated on the situation and to send him any more questionable messages. A couple of days later, Nick messaged me. For some reason on that particular day, he was acting extremely forward. He made several of the usual comments about my looks and body, and then started to say how frustrating it was that I was so hot at such a young age. He told me I was too beautiful and that it drove him crazy seeing me in person. He said something that sent chills down my spine. You're so sexy and gorgeous, I'd probably still have at you if you were dead. He then went on to describe, in great detail, how he had this fantasy of sleeping with a girl who either was unconscious or freshly dead. And I mean, great detail. I was absolutely horrified. And just sat there staring at the barrage of messages as they popped up. After a few minutes, I was able to snap myself out of my terror stupor, and immediately blocked him. I forwarded the messages to my youth leader, who became extremely incensed. He urged me to tell my parents or the campus police, so that they could help keep him away from me. He told me that this can be considered a threat. And he wanted me to be safe. He seemed so afraid for me, that it actually scared me even more. I told him I would think about telling someone, then signed off. I am. Unfortunately, I was young and stupid and did none of the things that he suggested. I finished my semester and avoided Nick like the plague. No small task. Let me tell you. I begged my mum to show up early so that I could leave class and jump right into the car. The first time I did so. She looked behind me and said, Oh, hey, it's your little friend. I turned to see Nick standing outside the classroom building wearing his black cape and staring blatantly at me. The look on his face was one of cold, furious hatred. I ducked down and shouted, please just drive Mum." My mother looked at me concerned, then put the pedal to the floor. I eventually did give my mother a shortened explanation of what happened, leaving out some of the more grotesque details. She made a point to show up before my class ended every day and waited right outside my building so that I could run out and hop into the passenger side of her car. Fortunately, after he followed me outside a few more times, he seemed to give up. He didn't try to talk to me in class and didn't follow me outside anymore. I did catch him staring at me a few times in class. But in general, he seemed to take the hint and back off. After that class ended, I never saw or heard from him again. And for that, I am truly grateful. This is something that I've kept to myself for a long time, but figured that now, years later, I could probably tell my story safely. On a Saturday night, I was on my way to the bus stop to pick up a friend. The plan was to have a drink together. In our city center, a not so healthy looking guy asked me if he could borrow my phone to make a quick call. I denied by saying that I don't have a data plan. I lied and continued to walk to the bus stop. This guy followed me all the way. It seemed as if he was also waiting for the bus. Then my friend called. I took my phone and answered my friend's call. While holding my phone to my ear. This weird guy stood right behind me. I was not fully aware of this. But I felt like I was being watched and held my phone tightly. Then that guy tried to grab my phone from behind me while I was calling. I'm not sure why I did that. But I turned around and asked, What are you doing? The guy answered my question with, I thought you had no data plan, now give me that phone. To which I replied with, No way! The guy tried to grab my phone again. He was unarmed, and I decided to run and call the police. The truth is, before the robbery attempt happened, I accidentally dropped my phone and the screen cracked really badly. I had no money to buy a new phone, and I told my insurance I dropped the phone during this robbery attempt. This guy got caught fairly quickly. Because he was already in the police system. He paid for my new phone. impertinent stranger. Let's not meet again. Or you'll be losing even more money to my luxury. This took place about eight or nine years ago. So one day I'm chilling on Facebook. And I get a friend request from a guy called Andy. At first, I don't really think anything of it. I never add people I don't know anyway. So I ignore it for a few days. Then I get a notification saying that I still had the pending friend request. So I look at the guy's profile and see that he has the same last name as my friend Rick's sister-in-law. I asked my friend Rick, if he was family. And he said that it was his sister-in-law's cousin. I thought it was a little weird that he wanted to add me as a friend. But whatever. No biggie. I didn't want to offend my friend. So I added him. Huge mistake. Now I am a huge Harry Potter fan. I remember posting on my Facebook page, that I was going to the midnight release of the new movie. And being super excited to go with all of my friends. Well, fast forwarded to the night of the movie. And I'm there with my best friends. And I see this guy staring at me. I think, huh? Weird. But I was really excited about the movie that I didn't even give him a second thought. Once we got into the theater, We sit down. And I see this guy sit right in front of us. So we watch the movie. And this guy keeps turning around to look at me. I start to get really annoyed because he was distracting me from the movie. And I whisper what as meanly as I could with a very WTF face. He turns around and leaves me alone for the rest of the movie. When the movie is over, my best friend and I are walking out of the theater, talking about how amazing the movie was. When I see the same guy standing by my car. When I walk up to my car, it hit me that I'd seen the guy before. He's the guy I added on Facebook. So my automatic thought is, oh, maybe he just wants to meet me. Because I'm Rick's friend. I slow my footsteps down a few feet from my car before we reach him. He didn't say anything at first, so my friend and I look at each other like, What does this guy want? So I say, Hi, do I know you? And he goes, Not yet. I'm Andy. Then he steps forward and hands me an envelope. Okay. This is getting weird. Then he seemed really excited and said, open your present. I say, uh, no, thanks. An attempt to hand him back the envelope. But this guy just walks away, leaving me with my hand sticking out of the air towards him. My friend starts awkwardly laughing and grabs the envelope out of my hand saying, Ooh, Someone has a crush on you. I'm just kind of standing there a little spooked. Like I don't know who the hell this guy is. So my best friend opens the envelope. And it's a five page letter about how he feels about me. And about how beautiful I am. That he loves reading my stuff on social media. And a $50 gift card to Starbucks. My friend, stops laughing. When she looks over and sees that I do not find it funny at all. I text Rick, asking him if this is some kind of joke he's playing on me. He assured me that he had no clue what I was talking about. Then Rick tells me he barely even talked to Andy because he was a weird dude. Oh, now let me tell you. So I go home and delete him from Facebook. I rip up the five page note and give the gift card to my friend. In my mind, since I couldn't give the gift back, I wouldn't use it. So I wouldn't feel like I owed him anything. Things started escalating pretty quickly once I graduated high school and was getting ready to move. See, I lived in a small town and I was getting ready to move to California to live with my dad. Once I moved, I started to get texts and phone calls from an unknown number. I finally answered one day. And the person on the other end says, Oh, hey, it's Andy. I miss you so much. And my heart feels frozen. It was so scary, because I had no idea how he got my number. I politely ask him to leave me alone and hang up before he can say anything else. I quickly go to change my phone number, thinking, Oh, this will stop him. But things actually got worse. I started to get packages in the mail. Things like a Harry Potter beanie, a Doctor Who jacket and flowers. I got flowers from him almost every week delivered to my door. I got a letter that asked if I would go to Italy with him, that he would pay for everything with no strings attached. Then the cherry on top was that he went to New York and saw Daniel Radcliffe's play and got his autograph and picture with him. And he sent them to me. I threw the picture out, but kept the autograph. Then the phone calls started again. Like how the hell did this guy obtain my number? I finally picked up the phone and told him to stop sending me stuff. I told him I was throwing everything away. I didn't want or need anything from him. I told him he made me feel extremely uncomfortable. He didn't like that very much. And he basically said, you're in a bad mood today, and quickly hung up. The next time he called, I told him I would contact the police if he kept calling. Things settled a little bit. A few months went by. But then I got together with my now husband, who lived in that little town. Of course, I moved back. I remember the first time I saw Randy when I got back. It was at a shopping center. He looked over at me for a second. And then quickly started walking towards me. I felt the hairs on my arm stand up. And I turned around and quickly left the store without looking behind me. While all of this is happening. I reconnect with my sister, who due to some family drama, I hadn't spoken to in about three years. Turns out she was the one who told Andy about my phone number as I always kept her updated on my address or phone numbers in case of an emergency. And she was the one who gave him my address. I was almost mad enough at her to stop talking to her again. But she told me that he would message her on Facebook, and that he was my boyfriend, and he lost my number, or he wanted to send me a surprise. He also asked her if she would be okay with him asking to marry me. With us not talking. She had no idea that this wasn't true. Apparently, he can be a pretty charming liar. Anyway, she promises to not give him any more information about me and blocks him on Facebook as well. So at this point in my life, I'm with my now husband, then boyfriend, and we have plans to get married soon. We are very excited. And we tie the knot at the courthouse. Fast forward a week of being married. And my husband gets a Facebook message from Andy. It was basically asking him if he was willing to share me. He offered to take us to dinner to discuss the situation. My husband was all for going for a free meal, and then beating the crap out of this guy. But I didn't even want to look at him. Let alone my now husband go to jail over me. So we ignore it. The big blow up. And how this story ends for now, and hopefully forever, is that he found out where I work. He came in one day, and I had no choice but to help him. And he started to take pictures of me on his phone in front of customers and my co workers. I lost it on this guy. And I started screaming at him to leave me alone. And if he ever came near me or contacted me again, I would have him arrested. I honestly can't even remember all of what I said. I was shaking and almost started crying. Luckily, my boss was really cool about the whole thing. And I didn't even get in trouble for swearing in front of the customers. Anyway, his face was priceless. Totally shocked. He just slowly put his phone in his pocket and left. That was the last interaction I've had with him. It's been years. And I'll sometimes see him walking by my work. But he would just quickly look at me and then keep walking. As for why I never actually went to the cops. I was young and dumb and thought that I could handle it, which I did. But I am very lucky. If it had gotten any worse, I definitely would have gone to the police. I'm not sure why he acted like this towards me, or what I did to cause this to happen. Maybe he's just mentally unstable. Either way, I'm always on alert because of this guy. So to preface this, I live in LA, in an area right on the cusp of being dangerous, in my opinion. I had just gotten off work on Halloween at about 3am. And me and my brother decide to go to 7-Eleven for some snacks and candy, so that we could somewhat celebrate a Halloween spent working. We get there. And there is a visibly drunk guy idling by the door, who turns to us and smiles, and then opens the door for us and insists we go in. We say thanks and walk in. The cashier who knows me and my brother by name, and I've never seen yell is incessantly eyeing this guy as he goes to the cold drink aisle. I don't know what he was doing. As we're looking at the candy. But the cashier starts yelling at him telling him to get out. The guy doesn't leave. And the cashier goes to call the cops. This is when the guy starts roaming around the store and eventually stops next to me. And starts asking me how my night was going, with both of his hands in his pockets. I tell him fine, and he starts getting closer to me. At an angle where he's almost out of my peripherals, behind me, and every time I pivot to keep him in view, he moves again. Then I fully turn to him and he says, You know mein Kampf, my dude? And I say, Yeah, I know what it is. This I assume he interprets while drunk, as I've read it. Then he asks me, you German man? You for the Fuhrer? And I say, nah, then he goes, you want to die tonight, man? I'm ready to die tonight, man. It's been a good night, which he says while getting really close to me. I tell him to back off. And he gets real offended saying he's just having a conversation. I quickly walked away from him and left when my brother was done buying his food. Luckily, the cops arrived right after we left. And the guy could see us walking the direction of our home, which was a block away. I'm a 19 year old male, five at nine and 160 pounds, scrawny middle length, red hair, and a large beard. I am by no means attractive. I work at my local Walmart on the fresh cap team, which basically means I stock all the fresh areas like produce, meat, deli and bakery, which is where I met a man that I wish I had never met in the first place. His name was john. John was a fairly large man, about six foot two, overweight, and probably weighed about 225 pounds. He was probably in his mid 50s or early 60s. And was very, very strange. At first, he seemed like a fairly nice man, liked to chat would ask questions like how my day was just casual conversation. I thought nothing of it. Just a co worker trying to be nice. Or so it seemed. His questions began to get a bit more personal. Things about school, home life. And I shrugged it off as him just trying to be friendly. But then he asked me if I had a girlfriend. I told him that I was single, but didn't see myself in a relationship anytime soon. Let me re-emphasize that this man is easily 40 years older than me. So this question came off as more than a little creepy. He said, Oh, and carried on working before I shrugged it off once again. No harm, right? Boy, was I wrong. John liked to sing. He wasn't very good at it, though. He would constantly sing strange old songs. And sometimes He'd even sing old cartoon theme songs. He also made odd comments, and other small things. At first, I thought he was just a little quirky. But then it escalated. One time I watched him stare at a couple of little boys for a considerable amount of time. Before he finally got back to what he was doing. I thought perhaps he was just envious of how young and lively they were, and wished to be that young again. Once again, I had no idea of how wrong I was. One day I came into work, like any other day. It was a nice day outside. So I didn't really want to be at work. But oh, well, my supervisor told me that I needed to cap the bins, which basically means I needed to take inventory of what we have and pull anything that we needed to stock off the shelves onto a cart and onto the floor. A lot of this requires a ladder, as the shelves are quite high. And once again, I am not very tall. I'm on the top of the ladder with my earbuds in just doing my job. When I turn around and notice him staring at me. It almost seemed like he'd been staring at my ass. I pulled out an earbud, and asked him if he needed something. But he just turned around and walked away. He said nothing at all. Why was he staring at me? I felt kind of violated. But I figured I must have been mistaken. So I got back to working again. And the rest of the day went by as normal. The next day, John came to work and walked right up to me. In one quick breath, He told me that he had written a song for me. My thoughts were clearly written on my face. I barely even knew the guy. And he wrote a song for me. He ignored my confused look and began to sing. I don't remember what exactly the lyrics were. But to sum it up, basically, the song was about how I was his ray of sunshine. I was thoroughly creeped out. Uh, thanks. I said, not able to hide my confusion and disgust. You didn't like it. He said, seeming surprised. Sorry, I barely even know you. That's kind of creepy, man. You're also way older. He said he thought I was gay. And I told him that I was bi, but I wasn't interested in him at all. That made him really angry. And he went off on a rant, yelling about how I came onto him, and that he was reciprocating my feelings for him. What? Everything I had said to him up until this point had been completely professional. The only thing I had done was answer some of his strange questions. He stormed out of the store, fuming. I went to my supervisor and told her everything that happened. She doesn't take harassment lightly and helped me file an official complaint against him. When he came into work the next day, she took him off to the back. And I'm not sure what she said, but she fired him. And he walked out of the store and walked past me, giving me the most deadly glare I'd ever seen in my life. I was glad that he was finally gone from my life. But you guessed it. I was wrong. I was having a normal day at school. And my classes ended. I was walking out of the building talking with a friend. When John walked up out of nowhere and started yelling at me. Oh, crap. I forgot that I told him where I went to school. He said he knew I was in love with him and just come clean and admit it. You were just a co worker to me, john. I don't have any feelings for you. Please leave me alone. This made him even angrier. And he came at me, threatening to kill me. My friends backed me up. And we managed to get him on the ground and under control. While we called the cops. When they showed up, I explained everything and they arrested him. As he was being dragged away. He threatened to kill me and my family. I pressed charges against him for harassment and assault. And when they investigated a little further, they found out that his home computer actually had indecent pictures of young boys, some even underage. All of them seemed very amateur as if he had taken them himself. Being told this made me sick to my stomach, and made me feel even sicker still to think of what might have happened if my friends hadn't been there to help me when he assaulted me. I can't even begin to imagine. Turns out he had already done some pretty horrific things to these boys. He was sentenced to life in prison for a slew of charges, not limited to harassment, assault, kidnapping, and so many accounts of possession of indecent images that I can't even remember. It made me feel good to know that he would be off the streets. This happened to me when I was four or five. And my family was staying at my grandparents house over a vacation weekend. My sister and I slept in their guest office slash room where they had a phone. One night at about 1130. The phone rang waking me up. My sister was still asleep. But I got up to answer it to make it stop ringing. When I picked up the phone, there was a man on the other end. I remember he sounded nice and not creepy at all. I asked him who he was. And if he wanted one of my grandparents, he said he wasn't calling for my grandparents. And that his name was something that I vaguely remember and started with an R. He then asked who I was. And I stupidly told him my name. He asked how old I was, and which grade I was in. I told him that I was four, and that I go to preschool. I realize now how stupid it was for me to tell him this. But I was a very honest child. Then he asked, where do you live? I told him I didn't really know. But he asked me to describe the area. So I talked about the church down the road and a nearby school that had a bulldog on the sign. I even told him what the name of my neighborhood that my grandparents lived in was. I then asked him why he wanted to know. And he responded, so I can visit you. It was then that my mum's then boyfriend must have heard me talking in the room and checked to see what was going on. When he saw I was on the phone, he immediately took it from me. I remember he was angry talking to the guy on the phone and told him not to call this number again. I just stood there, realizing that I did something I wasn't supposed to. I was told to go back to bed and to not answer the phone again. The next day, my mum sat me down and explained to me what stranger danger was. And that at the time, I still didn't fully understand why the phone call was such a big deal. But years later, I understand the implications for the whole interaction. And I get chills from it. I'm thankful that I was stopped before it could go on any further. At the time this occurred, I was 16. The girl mentioned was 21 going on 22. I met her working at my first job. It was a seasonal one, thankfully. During my first two weeks there, she would stare at me and follow me around the rooms. I would go to the bathroom, and she'd knock on the door or text me and say she'd missed me. We exchanged numbers for business purposes. And I found this strange, but I knew that she had a minor mental disability so I didn't want to be mean and just brushed it off. After about a month into the job, she asks me to hang out at the nearby park after work. I agreed, because I was going to be going somewhere next door to there. And not only was I afraid of saying no, and then promptly running into her. But I also didn't see her as any sort of threat. So we met in the park. I was wise enough to have a friend join me though who stayed nearby in case I needed someone and just get to talking. She starts telling me how beautiful I am and tries to hold my hand. Waited out. I pulled my hand away and thanked her for the compliment without saying much else. She had gotten a new Jeep that she was really proud of, as she had been saving for it for two years. So she asked if I wanted to see it. I said sure and followed her to the parking lot. Keep in mind that it was daytime, and there were people everywhere. And I was in immediate contact with my friend. So I wasn't afraid. This was in the heat of summer. And it was around 95 Fahrenheit outside. So when she asked if I wanted to sit in the aircon, I went to hop in the front, but she headed to the back. I slowly followed and kept my hands on the handle, which I made sure was unlocked the whole time. At first, she sat with her legs across from me and talked normally, but slowly kept moving closer. Then she laid her head in my lap very suddenly. And I didn't know how to react. I didn't touch her. I just sat there in shock and started talking about random work related topics. She said she didn't want to talk about work and instead wanted to talk about us. She told me that she really liked me and started showing me random pictures of lesbian couple goals off Pinterest and telling me how she wanted that to be us. I said that I should leave and went to open the door when she tried to forcefully kiss me. I moved my face away and she missed. So I got out of the car and said that I needed to leave and ran inside the store with my friend and was freaking out. It doesn't end there. Not only does this girl follow me into the store, but is referring to me as baby and smiling like nothing uncomfortable had happened. I told her that me and my friend needed to leave. And we rushed out. All the while she yelled at me to see her again soon all the way up to the car. For the rest of the job, which was the rest of summer. She would text me almost daily that she was in love with me and wanted me. She gave me notes at work, putting them in my purse and jacket, and started telling our coworkers that we were dating when we absolutely weren't. As soon as the job ended, I blocked her number only for her to get a new one and text me from there. Blocked again. Then she proceeded to get those weird emails to text services online and started texting me from there. I blocked every account she made. She added me on social media through contacts. And I blocked all of the accounts she made but she kept on making more. I then found out through another co worker that she had a boyfriend of three years and was trying to cheat on him with me. I confronted her about this and told her to leave me alone. For more than two years after this, she would text me every few weeks to every few months from a new account to try and win me over. Then I ran into her at my new job. And she started showing up at every event that my new job hosted and would not leave me alone during them following me everywhere, begging for me to call her. All the while my bosses watched in confusion and I had to explain myself. I eventually quit that job. And I haven't seen her since. She's tried talking to me, but stopped last year when I got into a new relationship with my current boyfriend. I'm sure though, that this probably isn't the last I'm going to hear from her. About two years ago, My significant other and one of his friends decided to utilize a nice, somewhat warm day to go fill up the tires on the motorcycle and kind of just cruise around. We set off, deciding on a nearby gas station that has an air pump on the side of the building. The lane with the pump also has a large parking lot opposite the building for reference. We pull in. Both motorcycles parked next to the pump. And what appears to be a homeless man approached and was standing near me, making comments about the bikes. No big deal. We're used to having people ask questions, or older crowds share their stories of back when they used to ride. And we love hearing these stories. This man was different and scared me to the bone. I'm a small framed female. So I made a point to try and keep moving away from him he kept standing close. Our friend was agitated. And my boyfriend was baffled by some of the man's comments, which started off innocent such as Oh, man, I love motorcycles. I would love to go on a ride with you. But then they changed to why don't you drop that hooker back off at the corner? And we can go for a ride. Uh What? There were multiple comments made about me being a hooker. My boyfriend is a very even tempered guy. But his friend is not the situation escalated to where I think the man was attempting to touch the motorcycles. And my boyfriend's friend ends up yelling at the guy who then ran across the bare parking lot and into the alley. We didn't want to take off because we were heading that way. And slightly scared the man would try and do something as we rode by. My boyfriend's friend and I walked to the edge of the alley and look towards the way the man went and find him running in circles hearing incoherently in the middle of the alley. We went in the other direction. After getting out of a serious relationship, I made a profile on a dating site where I was contacted by Mike. He sent a message admiring a shirt I was wearing in one of my photos that featured Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice, Wednesday, Adams, and Nancy from the craft. According to his profile, he and I shared interests in photography and campy horror. So I agreed to meet him at a Cindy Sherman exhibition at a local art museum. He was nervous from our initial meeting and kept bumping into me as if he lacked spatial awareness. I tried to be as chill as possible hoping it would put him at ease. But everything I said just seemed to make him more nervous. His intense stares were starting to make me feel uncomfortable. And I tried to lose myself in the crowd so that I could at least enjoy the exhibition on my own. But he kept hunting me down, trying to make small talk. At some point I said, look, dude, I'm a huge dog there's no reason for you to be so nervous. His eyes widened and said, you're just so gorgeous. And he kept comparing me to Aubrey Plaza, Kate Micucci, among other ambiguously ethnic brunettes. I thought he looked like William Defoe as a fake Mexican drug lord. But I didn't feel it necessary to tell him that. I excused myself to the restroom but he followed. So I rushed off saying, I got a poop. He later commented that he thought it was so adorable that I had to poop. Nothing I could say to him could turn off this guy. If I were to pick my boogers and snack on them, he'd probably ask if he could eat some too. After the exhibit, we did the typical. It was nice meeting you but not really awkward goodbye. I was wearing a high necked dress with a partially open back. And he rubbed his hand on my bare skin very creepily before I pushed him away. Then he dug out a container of pink Hello Kitty cookies from his bag, proudly proclaiming that he had baked them for me as if I were an eight year old. They tasted so nasty Even my housemate who loves gross crap like candy corn refused to eat them. Later that night, when I thought I was home safe. While I was in bed, I got a text from him telling me that he had fun and wanted to hang out soon. Because the guy was clearly delusional. I did not respond. So he texted, you must be sleeping. The next day, he started sending me photos of random women, telling me I looked like them. The message would say, I saw your twin today. Or I didn't know you did modeling. Or you have a new movie coming out. Do you want to see it with me? I didn't respond. So he texted, you must be busy. But that didn't stop him from sending me 20 more messages. In the final most desperate one. He admitted that he told his sister we were dating and begged me to go to dinner at her house because she wanted to meet me. He was trying to guilt trip me into going with him because he lied to his family. I called his number and he answered on the first ring. I shouted down the line. I am not your girlfriend. And I'm not even your friend. I'm blocking your number. So don't bother trying to contact me again. unintentionally spitting out rhymes under duress. He said he didn't want me to be mad at him. And asked if I could give him another chance. Because he was really nervous the first time we met. I said I wasn't interested. So he asked for a reason. I told him honestly, that his behavior creeped me out. We just met, and you're already telling your family we're in a relationship? You don't think that's weird? He was silent on the other end, so I told him to seriously please not contact me again. I thought I was safe from his advances, until I ran into him a few months later when I was jogging through the neighbourhood. He came up to me and waved Hey, remember me? We had fun at the museum scared to see him so close to where I lived. I questioned, are you stalking me? He shook his head, then started waiting for me to say something. But I took off running. Every time I'd see someone who significantly resembled him, I would freak out. Several months later, I got a message on Facebook. We were not friends on there, saying that he missed me and wondered if we could be friends he attached a poorly drawn cartoon that was supposed to be of me. It looked nothing like me or Aubrey Plaza, or Kate Mikuchi for that matter. And suggested I make it my Facebook profile picture. I deactivated any online accounts associated with my real name, changed my phone number and moved to the woods where the reception sucks. But at least he'll never be able to find me. I hope this happened about eight years ago in Germany, my daughters were four and two and a half. It was a very nice morning. So I decided to take my girls to a little mall and walk around and do some shopping. My girls are always very well behaved and never ran away from me. Usually, we always held hands walking around when it's an area with many people. On this day, the mall was almost empty. Still, the girls stayed on my hands. I noticed a man passing me. He looked at my daughters with a very stern look that gave me a bad vibe. I just brushed it off and kept walking. We wanted to go to a shoe store. This store had a very cute play area that the girls liked to go to. As we entered the store, they asked if they can run ahead to the play area. I could see it right while walking in. As it was at the end of the wide walkway. I told them yes, and they took off. At that exact moment, the same strange man burst into the store and speedwalks past me towards my daughters. It didn't even take me a second to realize that he was up to no good. He was absolutely focused on getting them fast. I instantly started to yell while running past him. I said, girls, Come here now. I am never very stern. But they sensed that I was serious. He got thrown off by my yelling. And I got to my daughter's before he could turned around. And he was running out the store. I was so shaken. A store worker came up to me and asked what happened. And I told her I waited for a while until I felt like myself again, and left the store and mall with both of my babies in my arms. This happened to me two summers ago. And I had pretty much forgotten about it until I found this subreddit. I was at a grocery store on a weeknight around 8pm. This is a grocery store I shop at all the time. And while in a very urban area with some crime and odd people, nothing had ever really happened to me here other than cat calling. While I'm ringing out in self checkout, a man in probably his mid to late 20s comes up to me. He says hi, and that his name is Mike, and shakes my hand and asks for my name. I give him a fake one and let him keep talking. He starts telling me about how he loves art and thinks I'd be a beautiful model. He says he specializes in gore and takes photos and makes movies of girls with their guts and brains hanging out and likes to make them more unique. He tells me he'd love for me to star in one of his movies. He wanted to see what I looked like in front of the camera with my guts spilling out while looking scared. The entire time I'm just standing there petrified. Who says that to someone? This store was busy. And while some people looked over at us, no one was really close enough to hear. Eventually, I just say no thank you a few times. And he says that it was great to meet me and hopes to see me around. After he walks away. I grab my bag and bolt to my car. I'm lucky that I only had a few things. So I didn't have to take time to pack it into my trunk. I had checked my back seats and under my car and didn't see him anywhere. So I took off. My roommate wasn't home. So I spent the next two nights at my boyfriend's, but still too terrified to sleep. I haven't seen him since. And thank God for that. I was and still am an extremely shy person. And the person with the headphones in hoodie up, ignoring most people. That girl with the stutter, and shy mumbling. I don't speak out and don't draw attention to myself. But that tends to attract the strangest people and the scariest guys. I had a huge crush on one of the really hot cool guys in school, sweet talker, and a nerd. I hung out a lot. And he introduced me to his group of friends. That's where I met him tall perv. He was the strangest guy in the group. I mean, they were all pretty weird. But he stood out. He was very tall and had a flash drive around his neck 24 seven. And he was very touchy feely with his hands. Nickname tall perv. I met him and he was already acting strange around me. The bell rang for us to go head back to class after lunch. But he had other ideas. He decided to pick me up by the breast and had me standing up. I didn't speak a lot. But I shrieked. He dropped me and said it's okay. Because I'm cute. He said, don't worry. I didn't mean anything. But it could if you wanted to. I ran back inside, terrified and confused. My crush pushed him away and was yelling at him. Neither one of them came after me. I still hung out with my crush again. But he was still hanging out with this guy and his short friend on another day. So I went up and tried to talk to my crush. Overhearing tall perv talk about porn. He bragged about his flash drive full of it. The one he always wore. My crush looked annoyed as hell, but jumped at the chance of being with me. Many months later, I was heading to class that was in a different building. When suddenly I felt a hand up my ass. It was him again, laughing like it was a game. I had a textbook in hand and started hitting him as hard as I could. Yelling, and screaming at him. His face fell and he took off. I finally got rid of him. Right? I did. Then he graduated. He never touched me again. But it doesn't end. Sadly. He found me on Facebook years later. At this time, I'd forgotten his name and face. He didn't have a picture of him in his profile. So I added him like, Oh, someone from high school cool. After I broke up with my then boyfriend, not my crush, but someone else. Guess who popped up onto my phone? Tall perv. Same day. He began texting me every day, saying how he missed me and wanted to hang out. I got onto Facebook and saw that 90% of my posting of memes he had liked and commented. I posted a ton of memes daily. And he liked almost all of them. And my notifications were all from him, messages, and likes. I looked at the profile and recognized him. He was begging to hang out. And one day out of the blue, he started sending pictures of his junk. I was shocked and kind of scared. So I decided to block him on Facebook. The end? (laughs) No. I got a text message from my cell phone. Now very, very few people from high school had my cell phone. Hey, it's me. You want to hang out? Come on, I miss you. We can come bake and cook at my house. I know you like sweets. We can make a cake. I know you live in this certain part of town, and it's not that far. He was correct. But how did he know where I lived? Please let's hang out. I can buy you lunch. I ignored his messages until he started calling me. He was crying and saying how lonely he was. He wanted me to go to his house and comfort him. He spammed his address at me. And I finally blocked his ass on my phone too. A year later, I got another message from him on a different number. And I blocked that one as well. He was a perv and definitely still was. But he went on a whole nother level with stalking and begging. Remember, this went on for years. A close friend of mine recently warned everyone on Facebook about this guy, because he picked up a scared female friend from his house. He had apparently lured a girl to his house and attempted to assault her. She fled before he could grab her. She had not filed any charges as far as I was aware of. All that I do know is that I don't want to see that guy again. If I do, it better be a mugshot. When my husband and I were first married, we lived in an inexpensive apartment complex with our three cats. Only one was allowed. Soon after we moved in, a note was slid under our door. The lettering looked like someone had cut out letters from a magazine and pasted them on paper, but it was handwritten. It said, you're in violation of the 5.2 clause of lease with multiple pet animals. I hear the noise from your sound producing machines in my apartment, etc, etc. With Bible quotes and more lease citations. But imagine this with creepy pasted lettering. What the actual hell? So, the author of the note lived directly above us, and I was especially scared because the only way to know how many cats we had was to see them from the inside of the apartment. These notes continued with increasingly weird wording and threats. Once I was in the living room and watched a note slip from under the door. Talk about panic. I made sure the deadbolt was locked, but still felt terrified. A few days later, we found out we weren't his only targets, and that the police had been called. When they entered his apartment, it was completely bare of any furniture or belongings. They found him hiding in his closet naked. He was hauled off, and we didn't see him again, but assumed and hoped he was out of our lives. I swear that this story is true. I couldn't invent the sound producing machine bit even if I tried. My ex and I lived in a brand new subdivision. It was two houses, an unfinished house and vacant lots. One area was far from our house and nearly at the woods. Late one night, maybe two or so in the morning, the doorbell rings and rings and rings finally getting annoyed and worried about our newborn waking up me and my ex answer the door there's a couple a man and a woman standing there they say they've broken down and need some help they're all the way in the back of the lot my ex is not the smartest guy but also an auto mechanic so he decides to help them i tell him it seems weird he doesn't listen so i do the next best thing and tell him I'll drive over, leaving the baby in the house. I wait in the truck while he checks it out. They keep insisting he get under the car, under the dashboard, all sorts of weird stuff that would make him prone and easily attacked. My ex keeps telling them that he can't because he's huge. He's nearly seven foot tall and 350 pounds. He simply doesn't fit. So he comes back to me and says now it seems weird. He's finding nothing wrong. He gets in the truck and we dial 911 and tell them we're calling a wrecker. We see these two people go running off into the woods, and so we lock ourselves in our house until the cops show up. The cops check out the scene and find the two people not hiding well due to serious amounts of drugs they're on and realise the car is stolen. I'm positive they would have brained my ex and, given a chance, robbed the house. So two drug heads, please stay in prison. And let's not meet. When I was younger, my family owned an RV. We kept it park at the back of our driveway most days with the front facing the street. One night, I was home alone watching a movie on Netflix. When I looked out the window, there was a police cruiser and a canine officer patrolling outside my house. For some reason, I decided it was a good idea to open the front door and ask the officer what was happening. But I got shut down and told to stay inside. Fast forward 30 minutes. I'm scared out of my wits. I'm sitting alone in my living room, and the police have now left. Despite this fact, I make the decision to try and sleep. Earlier, I left the light on outside. And as I passed the window, I realized this, I go to walk away, but do a second take. I see something on the roof of our RV. Something like a bag or a lump. Upon closer inspection. It's a person. There's an actual person laying on the top of our RV. I call the police and I get them back to my house. The man gets arrested, but not without yelling. I'll kill that kid. Before getting shoved into the back of the cruiser. I was never in any immediate danger. And I've moved since. But it still freaked me out as a kid. This happened not long ago, and still gives me the chills to this day. Me and my friend were driving along an empty road. We were driving home from a wedding. And my friend was the designated driver. It was pretty late. And the road was pitch black. We were getting close to the nearest town. When I see the outline of someone laying on the road. Luckily, my friend managed to swerve and we stopped across from the figure. We were debating whether to get out of the car. When the figure jolted up and looked around and spotted the car. He started to speed right to our car and began banging on the window. Open the door. I only want to say hi. Luckily, we had the doors locked and sped away. Who knows what he wanted.